0: Happy National Championship Day, TCU versus Georgia. It is finally here at SoFi Stadium. We're going to break it down all here today on the College Football Daily. My name is Brandon Marcello. It is Monday, January 9th. Thanks for joining us. We're just going to break this one down. TCU, a huge underdog against the reigning national champions, Georgia Bulldogs. To get a better grip on what to expect Monday night in LA, we're going to talk to Jeremy Clark of Ford Frog Blitz, and Jordan Hill of Bulldogs 24-7. Jordan, this Georgia team just seems invincible (laughs) at, at times this season. I've heard others say that maybe they just like to play around with their food a little bit, and that's why some games have been close. But in that semifinal game against Ohio State, an absolute thriller in the Peach Bowl that came down to a final kick and going wide left for Ohio State. What is Georgia's identity going into this national championship game and also what's different or and the same about them from the team we saw last year that won the national championship?
2: Well, I think as far as identity, I think you've got an offense, specifically with the offense, uh, that is willing to move the ball around and, and get different <laughs> different guys involved. I mean, you saw that in that game. I mean, Dominic Blaylock, a guy we haven't heard from a lot, he has a big catch that extends a drive. Lab McConkey makes plays. They lose Darnell Washington, but it really doesn't slow down the offense in that Peach Bowl. Uh, Brock Bowers really didn't catch the ball a ton. I mean, I think he had two or three receptions, but Kyrus Jackson got involved. Ad Mitchell by far his biggest game since the season opener. Then I think on the other side on defense, you know, it's it's kind of a youth movement at this point by need, by necessity. I mean, I asked Kirby about this earlier in the week on that very last drive for Ohio State granted, does drive down the the field and and made some plays to set themselves up for a long field goal, they had four true freshmen on the field, Michael Williams, Jalen Walker, Marvin Jones Jr., Malachi Starks. Uh, They're in a position where the defense has been a little susceptible just because of injuries over the course of what has been 14 games to this point will be the 15th game on Monday night. You know, I think uh, that defense uh, took its blows in that game. Marvin Harrison Jr. and, and really all those receivers were able to make big plays. And and I think you saw a defense that was on its heels more than they're used to, but um, they found a way. They they got some big stops when they needed them. They set up the offense to score 18 points in that fourth quarter. You know, I I was someone who really didn't think Georgia was going to win that game just because of the success that Ohio State was having. But credit to Georgia. There was no panic. I think you saw a team that has been in that situation before. Granted, not down, you know, fourteen points going into the fourth quarter like they were. They didn't panic, and at this time of year, uh, when the margin for error is so small, that I do think that that needs to be credited to this team that there was no panic.
0: Georgia's given up a lot of points in the last two games: the SEC championship game against LSU. Which, listen, Georgia was up big, and then LSU started chipping away when the the, the decision was already made, pretty much. And but the the Peach Bowl was different. Uh, Ohio State came out attacking, was able to get up double digits. Are there issues with Georgia's defense that seems so unstoppable for most of the season, and including even last year, of course? And what is that weakness?
2: I think the clear weakness right now is the secondary. And and granted, I do think you have to, you know, give Ohio State credit in that, you know, that was one of the best passing offenses in the entire country and one of the deepest receiving cores, even without Jackson Smith and Jigba. I mean, they played really well. I think if Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't get hurt, you know, they probably win that game. And and I think he winds up being offensive MVP just because of the performance he was having. Yeah, I mean, I I think that this is a secondary that really got caught on its toes. And, you know, a lot of players within, within the secondary have been criticized and Keely Ringo is one of them. The guy that was the hero of the national championship game uh, last January when they beat Alabama, but Keeley, I thought played pretty well. I think you saw really more uh, inexperience really showing up. Malachi starts a guy I mentioned earlier, a true freshman who's played really well. Got called out of position a few times, and you know I think Kamari Laster, the other cornerback opposite Keely, I think he had some issues as well. And and two, I, I wrote about this earlier in the week. It wasn't really just all in the secondary. The pass rush which has had injuries um, they have been playing without outside linebacker nolan smith who uh had a season ending injury October 29th against Florida you know losing a guy like him is huge and then Chaz Chambliss who has taken up a lot of the snaps from Nolan since Nolan's out he gets hurt with a hyperextended knee in that Peach Bowl uh, which sort of forced some of those freshmen I talked about earlier to play more um, they, they had trouble getting to CJ Stroud a lot there was one of the touchdowns that he had to Marvin Harrison Jr. where he had I counted at least five seconds maybe six seconds to make that throw and you just can't give a guy of that talent that amount of time so yeah I, mean, I I think the secondary has had its issues. Uh, I, I don't think the LSU game was quite as fair to, to critique just because Georgia got up. Um, Georgia had scored uh, what was tied for the SEC record, SEC championship game record for points and a half uh, in that first half. And, you know, she was able to find a good bit of success in that second half. But I think the, the criticism really of the entire defense uh, in that Ohio State game was fair. Um, because they didn't get to CJ Stroud very often, and and I think sometimes they took for granted CJ can move, and you saw that with his twenty seven yard run uh, at the end of the game. Uh, so you know TCU is going to understand that, and they're going to try to exploit that, especially with a guy like Max Duggan, who we know can and will move, and will really test this defense.
0: Who matches up with TCU's amazing receiver Quentin Johnston? Is it is it Ringo? And what kind of matchup can we expect there? Because TCU, as explosive as that offense is, it's very clear that they have top weapons. And that top guy for Max Duggan is receiver Quinton Johnston.
2: Yeah, I think it probably will be Keely Ringo. And I think he's a guy that has been battle tested this year and has had his share of issues, but also has played well at times. I mean, I think to me, you go to that Tennessee game uh, when he has the interception against uh, Hinton Hooker in the second quarter that essentially ended the game. I mean, that was the closest Tennessee really came to making that a game. I would expect that Keeley is a guy that's going to get that assignment. And, you know, credit to him, uh, I have critiqued him at times because he's had trouble really following the ball, you know, making uh, poorly timed leaps at the ball and, and not really being quite Uh, Able to finish plays where it looks like he's in position, but he is a really talented guy, and uh, I think that he held his own against Ohio State. It was some of the guys around him that had issues. I would think with Keeley's experience and uh, what he's been able to do, especially in big moments like this in the past, I would expect number five will get that assignment come Monday night.
0: Okay, let's say Georgia wins this game. They win their 17th straight game, which would be a school record. They win back-to-back national championships for the first time by a college football team since Alabama did it in 2011-2012. They'd be the only one to do it in the college football playoff era. We all know the storylines with Stetson Bennett being the former walk-on, and now he's a starter, and that's been played to death because he's obviously an elite quarterback we've seen it the last two seasons. If Georgia were to win this national championship game, and they are double-digit favorites, the largest favorites in the history of the unified championship, and by that I mean since 1998 when the BCS started, into now the college football playoff. How will history remember this Georgia program and Kirby Smart for what they've done over the last two years?
2: Well, I think that it will be held in high regard, and I think a lot of people will see this as the next Alabama. Now, will that happen? It's too soon to tell. I mean, because of the dominance Alabama had year after year after year, I mean, over a decade long. Obviously, that's a tall task to try to hit, to try to match. But I think, too, you think about when it comes to Georgia, for so many years, it was so close but yet so far away. I mean, I, I wrote about this today, talking about Stetson Bennett's legacy, if they do win. 2002, Georgia is a, a loss to Florida away from maybe playing for the national title under Mark Rick. 2012 SEC Championship game. One of the most exciting SEC Championship games I think has ever been played. They come up a few yards short when uh, Chris Connolly catches a ball short of the end zone and Georgia doesn't have any timeouts; they run out of time. Um, there were so many moments, even second and twenty-six. You know, with two of making that play in overtime, it, it just seemed like, especially for fans of this program, that they could only get so close. And it was well, we had a good year, but. And, and, you know, I think that that win last January to beat Alabama and specifically the fact that it came against Alabama, if they had beaten somebody else, I do think that that would have quite literally been the elephant in the room. Could they beat Alabama? Um, I think you see the page sort of turning when it comes to people, even within that are fans of this program, but also the way Georgia is perceived that they can take this talent and turn it into tangible wins. I do think that This TCU team is going to come in as the underdog, and I think they like that. You know, one of the players talked about that early in the week that they weren't, that was nothing new to them because they were picked to finish, I think, seventh in the Big 12 in the preseason. So, you know, I do think it's a TCU team with nothing to lose, but I do think that Georgia understands the magnitude of this moment and that, again, this will put them among the upper echelon when it comes to college football and and that they would continue to be looked at as a perennial national championship contender.
0: We'll turn our attention to TCU with Jeremy Clark of Horned Frog Blitz after this.
3: Selling a little or a lot?
1: And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.
0: Jeremy Clark, Horned Frog Blitz. So Jeremy, there in LA, we're waiting to hear what the status is of running back Hendry Miller and what we're going to see when TCU takes the field. So any update as of right now, do you expect TCU's top running back to play on Monday night?
4: I think the latest report we're hearing, Brandon, for now is he's still questionable. Obviously, he made the trip. Um, he was out there at practice on uh, Thursday. Uh, didn't go through much, but it's kind of up in the air. They, you know, they they could see him out there, but I would think it probably be in a limited role right now. But it would not surprise me to see thirty three out there because he's just a warrior. He wants to get out there and play. And even if it's limited carries, I, I still think we're going to see some semblance of Kendra Miller out there.
0: Does the, the offense look different? without Kendra in there?
4: Yeah, I mean, you look at that game against Michigan, obviously, you know, he he had a big game going until he got hurt, but got to give props to Amari McCardo. I mean, he came in there, rushed 17 times for 150 yards. That was a career high for him. Had a 69-yard run in that game, but I think as long as the offensive line is intact, as long as they got those big guys up front, they're going to be okay running the football. I think that was the biggest difference, not only with uh, Amari breaking off key runs, but man, those offensive linemen created some big running lanes for him and gave Max Duggan all kinds of protection. So yeah, I think as long as the offensive line can play with some consistency like they did against Michigan, uh, they should be okay in the run game. But obviously, it's going to be a lot tougher when you see a athletic uh Georgia defensive line, especially number 88 right there in the middle, Jay. Carter.
0: Amari back home, too, there in the L.A. area.
4: Yeah, what a great story. I mean, this guy's been at TCU for five years. He wasn't heavily recruited out of high school, had Army and Navy as his only offers, decided to go to JUCO. He was a full qualifier out of high school, but felt like he could always get bigger offers. So he went to Saddleback College out here in California and ended up getting some offers, including TCU. And he's been at TCU for five years now. And he's he's kind of always been that guy that's been uh, kind of waiting his time. He had to play behind Darius Anderson, Shawo Lua Then Zach Evans comes to town. Then Kendra Miller starts playing well, but he's always just kind of bided his time. And he's always been a guy that's been very versatile. He makes great pass blocking. He knows what he's doing. He's probably the smartest running back on the roster. He's not the biggest, he's not the strongest, and he's not the fastest. But I think when you compile all the things that they ask their running backs to do from running the football, protecting the quarterback, catching the football, I think he's the best overall back they have so they should still be in good hands with Amari and yeah it's very cool he gets to come home to Inglewood and have a storybook ending for him if in case TCU uh, gets to go out there and get a victory against Georgia
0: another storyline that goes into this is very similar to what was the storyline of the semifinal. Georgia is just so much bigger more physical than TCU well TCU proved otherwise against Michigan that they were more than willing to hang with that and play that style if they had to and they did and did so successfully Is this different in any way against Georgia?
4: I don't think so. You know, and to be honest, I don't think Georgia's going to overlook TCU how I think Michigan kind of did. I think everyone can kind of admit that no one really expected to see TCU dominate that game like they did on both sides of the ball in the trenches. I think, as I mentioned earlier, the offensive line kind of enforced their will on Michigan late in the game. Were able to get some big run plays in the third and fourth quarter. And then you look at and really at that linebacker unit. I mean, they had 13 tackles for loss. Four Sacks by Dylan Horton And you're talking about a team that was held under 200 yards. It's only the third time, I think. They were held to their third lowest rushing total this year, the Wolverines were, and they gave up by far the highest number of sacks in a game. They'd only given up 13 sacks going into that game. So obviously they're going to see a lot of physicality from Georgia. They're going to see a little bit more athleticism. Obviously playing the SEC, you're going to have a little bit bigger guys. You're going to have a little bit bigger guys that are also fast. So that's going to be something that I think Georgia is going to be very different with Michigan. I, I feel like Michigan, Michigan was big, but I don't think they have the team speed that TC is fixing to see here with the Bulldogs.
0: I can't wait to see the matchup. And obviously, there'll be different matchups with Quentin Johnson against that Georgia secondary. But but against Ringo, Kelly Ringo for Georgia, both bigger guys, rangy guys and Georgia playing man to man with him. That could be an interesting matchup. How do you see that one kind of going down on Monday night?
4: Yeah, that's going to be huge. I mean, Ringo is one of the better cornerbacks, and as you mentioned, he's got great size. They've gone against some bigger corners. Kansas State had a couple guys that were 6'2", 6'3", range, but Ringo is one of the more physical corners in the nation. He's got great hips. He can run with just about anyone out there. So it's going to be an interesting matchup. You're going to have to see some guys step up for TCU other than Quentin Johnson. I, I feel like last week against Michigan, you really didn't get a chance to see Savion Williams. He really wasn't targeted that much, but he's another big guy at six five. And then Darius Davis, he's got to do a little bit better job of catching the football. He's an explosive playmaker. He can make Great plays with the speed, but he's got to be uh, a little bit more reliable catching the ball. One of those interceptions Max Duggan threw last week bounced off Darius's chest, and Tay Barber obviously is a guy that is has been around for a long time in the program, can make plays. He's not quite the speed burner that Quentin and And Darius are, but he could obviously get open. But I would, you know, one guy that kind of impressed me that I'd keep an eye on, and Brandon, you were there, is Jordan Hudson. I think Jordan Hudson, Mm -hmm. the true freshman, we're starting to see a little bit more of him. He had two big catches in the game against Michigan. And then on that 76-yard touchdown by Quentin, if anyone hasn't seen that block, look that up. I mean, he had a great block for that uh, long run and uh, catch and run for Quentin. So, yeah, I think uh, Jordan's going to be a guy that kind of needs to step up a little bit more against Georgia as well.
0: Quentin Johnson, the guy that if you haven't seen him play, he's electric. And the coaching staff there, just in the brief time I've been able to hang out with them, last week's Fiesta Bowl kept saying he's the best receiver in the country.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think he kind of solidified that number one spot in the 24 NFL draft. I mean, 23 NFL draft, excuse me. That's what's funny about this whole thing. Quentin's a junior and no one's even talked about him going to the draft as far as him having an announcement because everyone is a foregone conclusion that he's gone. Um, but I think that game against Michigan kind of showed showed a little bit of everything, showed a good ability to get open, obviously caught the ball well, obviously has great size at 6'4", 215, and he got a chance to sh- uh, showcase some of that breakaway speed that he has. They feel like he's a four four kid. And if he runs anywhere close to that at the combine based on his measurables, I mean, he's easily going to be the top receiver off the board, but yeah, he's uh he's a huge playmaker and they predicted this for him this year. They said, we're going to have him, get the ball as many times as we possibly can. Even if it's a situation where he might be double teamed, we know he can make plays. And early in the year he was getting double teamed and he didn't have a lot of targets. But now he's gone over 1,000 yards. I think the first receiver since Josh Dotson that's gone over 1,000 yards for TCU. So yeah, he's had a big year. And obviously it's going to be really fun to watch him play and probably be the last game we ever see him in a TCU uniform.
0: TCU's defense... Everybody made a big deal about the 3-3-5 alignment. That's not so much commonplace in the Big Ten, but it is in the Big 12, obviously, and in the SEC nowadays, as it's kind of moved over to that. And Georgia's seen that alignment, but I will say this. I don't think they've seen a TCU defense that covers as much ground so quickly as this defense does, especially in the linebacker core. And the other thing is, when you look at that Michigan game in the Fiesta Bowl, those interceptions weren't necessarily things that were just like man-on-man coverage, guys right there, he just out-wrestles the guy for the play. This is closing speed, jumping on routes, guys closing windows, that seen they're open for a second and they're not there. Just fabulous stuff. And when you got Bud Clark back there, my goodness, amazing things happen. This TCU defense, what does it have to do to slow Georgia's offense down with a veteran- Quarterback, like Stetson Bennett.
4: Well, it's going to be tough. I mean, because if we looked at last week, their defense played well, but they also gave up forty-five points. They are fast. I think the advantage, and we talked about this before the game last week, is I felt like TCU had a big advantage with the three-three-five because Michigan hadn't seen it. On top of that, they're a very fast defense, and I don't think Michigan had seen that type of speed from a defense this year. The difference with them playing Georgia, like you mentioned, Brandon, Georgia has seen that type of speed. They've seen that type of defense. So. They're going to have to play up another level. They're going to have to continue to get strong pressure from the defensive line. The linebackers have to continue to play well. We saw D Winters have what I thought was his best game of his career against Michigan. He was all over the place. Jamoy Hodges got to step up. But in watching Michigan, the, the, the one thing that I think TCU did not do a very good job of was defending the deep ball and more particularly those safeties defending deep ball if they can't match up with those tight ends that Georgia has it could be a very long day for the secondary you're still going to see those linebackers try to get some pressure on spent on Stetson but if if they can't get to him and he can find those athletic, big tight ends, it's going to be a very long day. The safeties have got to step up. They've got to be able to cover those deep passes. And obviously, they still got to help out with the run. But what I like about this defense is you see the defensive line not only plugging gaps, the linebackers are flying to the football. And after that long run that uh, Donovan Edwards had last week, I believe he only averaged 2.9 yards the rest of the way. And uh, that was huge. The TCU's always defended the run well. But I think if they can force Georgia into a pass-only offense, kind of like they did with Michigan, then they'll have a chance to uh, come away with another shot and win.
0: It would be absolutely amazing. And and Stetson Bennett, as you said, has been incredible at quarterback for Georgia. And the tight end there is a a big-time weapon. The the days of using the tight end as a safety valve are over in college football. And you see a guy like Brock Bowers for Georgia, not only catching passes, but running into rounds and jet sweeps because he's so fast, it's a different day and age in college football. So, so much history on the line, obviously, for both teams. But for TCU, this would be, one would have to argue, the greatest one-year turnaround in college football history. I mean, goodness gracious, not since 1892 as a first-year head coach, won 14 games, and Sonny has a chance to do that. What does the world look like, I guess, Tuesday morning if TCU is the national champion, Jeremy?
4: 1892. I didn't even know they kept stats that long ago. I mean, <laughs> that was a long time, man. I mean, uh, you know, that that Sunday morning after the Fiesta Bowl, I, I, I still woke up in disbelief. And I think a lot of TCU fans were still in disbelief. And I think the rest of college football was still kind of in disbelief. Obviously, a lot of people were talking about some questionable calls from that game. But what I look back to is – yeah, the spread was seven and a half, but no one, the, the experts, the, the analysts, a lot of people around the nation were feeling like Michigan, especially the Michigan fans were feeling like they were going to win that game by three or four touchdowns. And for little OTCU to go out there and play the way they did, I think they earned a lot of respect from some people that maybe had some question marks about whether they belonged or not, whether they could even beat Michigan. And now you have people that, although Georgia's defending national champ, and they feel like Georgia's going to win. They feel like TCU is going to be a a pretty good opponent. If they somehow pull off this upset, I I mean you you can't write a better script than that. I, I really it's it's unbelievable. I mean that we were talking about the other day. Not only is Sonny Dykes in his first year at TCU, but if you look at his staff, Brandon, he had a few guys come over from SMU, but he's got a ton of new guys on that staff. And he had some uh, carryovers from the old staff. This is the first year this staff has ever worked together. And yet they're going and playing in a national championship. That is, that's almost a, a, as much unheard of as a first year coach when he has an entirely new staff, the way they, they, they are, uh, mending together. So I think if they, they wake up, everyone wakes up Tuesday morning, you have TCU as a national champ. I think you're going to pinch yourself. You're going to rub your eyes thinking, you know, if are you awake? I mean, cause really it's, it's, it's crazy, but this is a crazy year for TCU, man. There's, there's nothing that. After a first, the first few games, there's nothing that makes things unbelievable. You always feel like TCU's playing the football game, they have a chance to go out there and play, and they have a chance to go out there and win the game. So I, I think it would be obviously tremendously huge for the program and a huge feather in the cap for Sonny Dykes, and he'll probably be having to turn away some recruiting calls <laughs> for the next several months because they're not going to have room for all the guys that are going to want to go to TCU.
0: TCU, a true uh, underdog story biggest underdog in the unified championship history since the start of the bcs in 1998 it would certainly be a huge story and how fitting is it that it's so close to hollywood that it might end up with a storybook ending with the tcu under frogs i can't wait to see this game monday night jeremy thank you so much for joining us and for our producer lance lynn i'm Brendan marcello you've been listening to the college football daily we'll see you down the road